0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 8 Preview Edition and we are on the eve of uh, a football marathon, the likes of which we've never seen before. You can have your Grand Final Eve marathon on the TV, but this is a real-life football marathon spanning an incredible 20 days, 30 days three games packed into that period. And, uh, boy, has that thrown up some logistical challenges and some uh, very interesting time slots, uh, which we'll talk about in some detail very shortly. As I say, very good morning to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey?
1: I'm well. I, I just remembered it. It's funny, you know. I had to remember I, I got some petrol this morning on the way in and I did get out of the car. And started filling up without the mask, quickly went went and put the mask on, so I had to remember to put it on, and I only just remembered to sort of pull it down to do the podcast, so uh, I could become an instant mask wearer permanently. I I was looking around, I was, once I put it on, I left it on. Um, Not many people drive with a mask on, you don't have to.
0: No, you don't have to. But I, I
1: just don't want to be handling it all the time, really, either, so a new world as of today and a very new football world, as you pointed out, do we, do we need to sort of, um, bear, like sleep, have a big hibernation sleep before the 20 days start to prepare ourselves?
0: Well, I wouldn't mind one. I've got to be honest. Cause I am I am stuffed and I'm wondering how I'm going to get through it. Uh look, I mean, you know, there's plenty of those midweek nights when you're at a loose end. I think it'll be good to watch a bit of footy, but, uh, it would be interesting to see how people are going come the end of it, uh, particularly some of the players, given some of the schedules being imposed on a couple of teams. But uh, we will talk about that very shortly. Before we do that, though, uh, how about some other consistent products who are, are very good and important friends of ours, Bonnie?
1: I could do 20 Andrews hamburgers in 20 days. I was thinking about that, actually, on the way in. Look, I could. There's other menu items there, of course. I mean, the the burger is famous at 144 Bridport Street, but there are other items. I'd have, like, Dim Sim Wednesday or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> potato Cake Friday. But the burger, that would be the feature. That hamburger from heaven, I reckon I could do a burger a day, no problems, because, as we point out, Beautiful vegetables, always fresh. You get your good, healthy veggies that way. I'd get my egg for a morning burger, fresh egg. The beef patty. The bones are incomparable. You've taught me well, Rowan. Beating off the tomato and the lettuce is that water. And that water could get me through as well. So I reckon I might have a few Andrews hamburgers. If not 20, I'll be down at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, through the footy marathon to enjoy a festival of burgers like none other in Australia. And I'll pass a Nick Spartel house build as well. He's very busy at the moment, but not too busy not to take your call at West Point Properties. West Point Properties, Nick Spartel's, and, of course, Andrew's Hamburgers, two great sponsors. Get down to 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Back to you, Ro. Get behind them, everyone, and
0: give them your business and give generously. We're going to give generously now. What to talk about? Let's do it. On Footyology News All right. Well, we will talk about that very complex schedule in a moment, but uh, something pretty important to talk about first, and uh, it always threatened to become an issue once it was put on the agenda. Uh, which is a story in itself how this came to be. But I'm talking about the new look interpretation of the holding the ball rule finally. It's been coming to a bit of a head over the last three weeks, probably blew up in the wake of that um, Monday night Adelaide St Kilda game. In fact, Steve Hawking coming out on Tuesday and doing a bit of a mea culpa on a number of decisions they believe were paid incorrectly. Um so there's a number of issues here. There's the obviously the impact that has had on free kicks. I've got a few numbers I'll uh, give you in a in a second, but um, also the aspect of uh, a fairly fundamental change in umpiring interpretation midway through a season, um, and then I think the uh, the flow-on impact of this about the. Uh, effect it's had on the way the game looks. now I'll just I'll give you a crack at this but I, I'd just like to say quickly that there's always that issue for me about the does the um does the uh, end justify the means or hang on the means justify the end uh or is it that way around but um Whilst normally I'd be pretty unhappy about, you know, such a, a fundamental change in the midst of a season, I would have to say I think the footy has been of a better quality the last couple of weeks. And I think that the greater amount of free kicks being paid for this is a factor. How do you see it?
1: I think it's a really good rule change in theory. I think it's. The wording for it hasn't quite, um, I believe, matched the intent. The end game, I agree with you, will be better for football. And we also need to factor in the process that happens. It's not a rule change, it's an interpretation change that would normally happen when this occurs. Uh, Exactly what the umpires do during the week, for example. You know, we, we always talk about, oh, the memo goes out, but what actually is the process? Uh, how do they transfer information? How do they work on new interpretations? How do they train? Whatever processes have been in place in previous years, of course, aren't in place during this extraordinary season. So it might be a difficult year. I imagine there was some work done over Zoom or, or some other um, internet meeting provider service, but the normal hands-on delivery of a message and practicalities of reinterpreting something must be more difficult in COVID-19 as it is for all football teams. Think of the umpires as the 19th team. And on that Monday night game where it did come to a head, uh, it's a bit of a smokescreen. I can tell you from a St Kilda perspective, and this is a fact, um, there was frustration with the umpiring. And the holding the ball rule was actually... Whilst there was definitely um, queries as to some of the decisions and what that means going forward, I think that St Kilda's position was that they understand that that's been difficult for all clubs and in all games. And it was actually the non-holding the ball decisions that they required a lot of clarification on, uh, particularly some intentional out of bounds. So if you have a look at the initial wording from Hayden Kennedy... It was about a range of decisions, including holding the ball. But that has been the one champion because it affects all clubs, Rowan.
0: Yeah, well, there's absolutely no question that we are seeing more free kicks are holding the ball. And um, I I want to touch on a little bit later the impact of Alistair Clarkson's um, outburst, if you like, after the Hawthorne-North Melbourne game in round four, where he pleaded. For umpires to pay more free kicks, and he cited the fact Hawthorne had played, I think it was 69 tackles for the game, not received a single holding the ball decision. But uh, have a have a, wrap your head around these figures. So these are courtesy of Champion Data. But in the first four rounds of this season, here are the total number of holding the ball frees paid: 48 in round one, 62, 68, and 62. Now that 62, that was the round in which Clarkson uh, pleaded for more holding the ball free kicks to be paid. The three rounds since then, the numbers of holding the ball free kicks have been 91, 84, and 90. That's like a 30% increase. Yeah. The other stat, which is really interesting, is um, number of tackles per holding the ball free kick. So. In the first four rounds, those numbers were 17.4, 14.7, 11.8, 15.4. Three rounds since, 15.4, but the last two weeks, 9.8 and 9.5. So last week, for every tackle, there was, um, uh, sorry, for every nine tackles, nine and a half tackles, there was a holding the ball free paid in round one it took 17 and a half to have that play. So twice twice as many in round seven as in round one. But, look, I'm, I'm, you know, there are a lot of levers that can be pulled to free the game up a bit and get rid of the clutter. And this, I think, is proving to be one. I'm big, as you know, on umpires calling for a ball up more quickly. I don't know why we haven't tried that, but... This is a good example to me, that you don't have to make fundamental rule changes like 666 and more space around the guy kicking in from behind, if you can just tweak an interpretation and it has this amount of impact. So I would have to say, whilst it worries me that the AFL would listen, hear Alistair Clarkson say that, and incidentally, they deny steadfastly there's any correlation, Steve Hawking said on Tuesday, I've been keeping an eye on the trends for a long time. Well, don't you think it's a remarkable coincidence that the change happened immediately after Clarkson said what he did?
1: (laughs) We know it's not a coincidence. We don't need to follow the party line. This is, Rowan, I don't know. We've discussed ways to improve the game and this is exactly the rule interpretation that I want changed but the wording of it hasn't quite made it clear for umpires, so there is still been some confusion. Uh, what I was banging on about, and I'm not banging my own drum, but hopefully regular listeners to the podcast uh, recalls recall that I, I steadfastly say was saying how players have their hands free and prior opportunity, even if a player gets tackled instantaneously, you have prior opportunity if your hands are free and on the ball. And players... Had become very adept at pulling the ball back in, and then the ball being trapped. And the umpire's thought process was, well, he got tackled instantly. Basically, prior opportunity was all based on time, but this now recognizes that it's not the time between getting the ball and getting tackled; it's actually also whether, when you get tackled, you can still dispose of the ball. And players had been so, you know, so rigidly trained on do not handball wildly to a a contest or to open space, if you're tackled, either hit a teammate or will reset for a stoppage. So this really does cure that. And I've seen in a short time, players do adjust very quickly. Now, what umpires need to do is, they still need to be aware of when a player gets tackled and cannot free his hands, there are free kicks being paid when there is absolutely no way that ball's coming out without prior opportunity. And the rule does state that that should be a free... There should be a ball up. But some umpires have... It's gone in sort of clusters as well for me, where, you see, umpiring is all about consistency, and it's all about getting the three umpires on the one page. And I think we've had little clusters in games where one umpire's paid a... What seems to be pretty strict holding the ball, and then the other umpires join in and... uh, they need to be on the same page and discuss it before the game starts. I, I, those stats were brilliant, Rowan. They tell the entire story, don't they? The,
0: oh, absolutely. The, I mean, it's a 30% increase. I, I guess, yeah.
1: well, not the entire story. We need to also know um, the amount of ball-ups or stoppages around the ground. Have they reduced? Because that ultimately is the idea, isn't it? And we, you, you get a sense they have because the idea is that in the end, this will... This will assist in more free-flowing football. We don't want freeze because that's really a stoppage in a way as well. What we want is the ball to keep moving. So ideally, we get less ball-ups as a stoppages around the ground as a result. And I think we're going to get that because players are very adept at, at, as I said, making the adjustment. And the numbers say that they're learning their lesson. So more power to the game just more consistency in game between the three umpires and I think frustration levels will drop.
0: Now, a quick one on this. What about the fear? Um, I'm pretty sure Tim Lane, for instance, is very much in this camp. The fear, and Lee Matthews has had reservations about this too, the fear that this sends the wrong message, that winning the ball isn't your prime objective. The players will just dwell on a player who takes possession so they can tackle him.
1: I heard Tex Walker say that, that he saw that in the game on Monday night that players were hesitant to go for the ball. He must have been... Was he playing with a large mirror nearby? Cause, sorry, I'm a bit hard on Tex. He was all right, actually. Uh, in fact, he took a bloody good mark that wasn't paid, and that's the sort of umpiring I think that was crazy on Monday night. You that mark that wasn't paid to him? That was crazy.
0: Yeah, it was Lee uh, cold, Colbert revisited.
1: Yeah, but... You know, there was a lovely square up when he just feigned a free kick a minute later. So the that won't happen, Rowan. That just won't happen. See ball, get ball remains the basic instinct of most players. And believe me, if a couple are hanging back, they'll just make it better for the ball player. The one thing that umpires have to be careful of is that when those tackles are executed, that they are executed correctly. Look, there's one other way to to really clean up the game and to stop stop, stop um, stacks on the mill and stoppages. It's a radical idea, and I think it would be a great rule for the AFLW. But there are two examples on Monday night where I thought, you see, that's not good for footy, and that's bad. That's bad for what they're trying to do. And I'm talking about when a player is tackled, the ultimate way to clear, clear up the game is not to allow a third tackler in. And twice on Monday night, because St Kilda got a sense that holding the ball was red hot, I don't know if you saw this, another Adelaide player had the ball and was well tackled by one St Kilda player. And on two separate occasions, Jade Gresham just ran in and jumped onto the tackle. Now, he didn't need to be part of that tackle. It, it became, you know, in came Jade and then a couple of other players. But I think AFLW could be the the testing ground only because I think that they have a lot of situations where at the moment uh, female players can't break free of tackles especially uh, you know when they're standing up and two girls are hanging off them but to ultimately clean up the game and keep it moving is is banning the third tackler coming in beyond that I think we've made a good move forward what do you say uh yeah
0: no I agree I agree I normally I'd have grave reservations about uh you know interfering with the look of a season. But I think this is such an extraordinary season and I think the some of the football we've been watching got to such dire levels that I'm happy to trade in a bit of consistency for a game that's more entertaining to watch. And I think we've got that. And I think the greater rate of paying these decisions is a is a factor in that. So we'll wait and see now. We'll wait and see if there's a correction of the correction as a result of Steve Hawking's press conference on Tuesday. The other thing is, Sorry. Rowan,
1: it's it's going to be great for close games at the end of the game because that's where really smart players were taking advantage of stoppage after stoppage. And uh, this is going to be... I, I reckon I've, we saw Robbie Gray have a kick after the siren. I reckon we might have a few uh, games decided in... Before the end of the season, within the last minute or so, by one of these decisions, that'll be hugely contentious. But players be warned if you can pick up the ball and your two hands are free, and you're you if you've picked the ball up with two hands, you're expected to be able to get rid of it, and that's a fair call.
0: All right, let's talk about this schedule because uh, it is uh, quite frankly pretty hard to wrap your head around. Uh, so, round nine kicks off. Uh, three days after round eight finishes, next Wednesday. And from Wednesday onwards, we see 20 consecutive days of AFL football with 33 games packed into that. There are double headers, uh, not just one game, but there is a, a Monday and a Wednesday and a Thursday with double headers going on. Um, it's hard to know where one round finishes and the next one starts, trust me, because I've tried to work out how we're going to do this podcast. Um, but uh, it's a demanding schedule. And I guess you know people are talking winners and losers. Um, the clubs being cited as having been dealt the most difficult deal are Collingwood and Geelong. So Collingwood will have to play four games in 13 days. That is pretty remarkable. Geelong plays four games in 14 days. So uh, what do you think of that? Did you, would you ever have thought a league side would have been required to play four games in 13 days?
1: Extraordinary. I was reading it and every, every round, every change of game, I was checking dates and thinking, no, that, that doesn't work. But it does. I mean, and it's not like those four games are all in Perth, where they are now. That includes coming back to Queensland. There's just some. I mean, it is now abundantly clear that for two two things. I mean, the the shorter quarters. Okay, I think we'd understood that already. Now that that had become necessary. So uh, I put my hand up. I think not. I still prefer longer quarters, but I guess the the AFL have been vindicated there. But the venues. Just you've got to check some of these venues out. I'm sort of thinking, oh, do Brisbane get to play every game at the Gabba or Metricon give them a real advantage? And I think they play three of them. And then I'm pretty sure the fourth game is at Optus Stadium, isn't it? Are they going to Perth at the end of that trip? Carlton and, well, Hawthorne, let... go, Carlton and Hawthorne go there. But I just saw Brisbane. Brisbane somebody is being played all, at, at a very unusual venue.
0: Well, Brisbane actually don't fare too badly. I reckon they've got... Uh couple of games at Metricon, one at the Gabba. Uh, they then, interestingly, we go to Tasmania. They will be playing North Melbourne. That's at right. That's Plumstone right. Arena.
1: Yeah, not Perth, Tasmania. Uh, that's right.
0: On the Saturday of round 12. But uh, how about Collingwood's, what's being asked of the Pies? So their four games are against Fremantle, Sydney, Adelaide and Melbourne. And you look at that, you think, well, opponents, yeah, they've done all right. But it's the space in which they're packed in and the venues at which they're being asked to play them. So the first one of them is Fremantle at the Stadium in Perth. And that is on the Sunday. And then on the Thursday, they've got Sydney at the Gabba And then the following Tuesday, they've got Adelaide in Adelaide. And then the final league is Melbourne, and that is at the Gabba. So four games in 13 days in four different capital cities. That
1: is some ask. It's a huge ask. And I mean, teams are being tested. I've got to say, all right, so I'm a St Kilda supporter, and I was pretty up in arms at the at the fixture currently facing St Kilda, which was play Adelaide on Monday. Now, to get to Adelaide, they left Noosa. It was a 10-hour... It it takes about 10 hours, the the trip, because they had to bust from Noosa to Brisbane, then fly to Adelaide. Uh, It it was a long trip. And then that's Monday night. Then this Saturday night, they had to do it all over again for Port Adelaide. And I thought, gee, that's sort of three, that's four 10-hour trips in five days going from Noosa to Adelaide. But when this 20-day fixture fix came out, I, th- I thought, gee, St Kilda's bloody lucky here. Their games are all in Queensland, and even that five-day double doesn't seem so bad. So as, as we're being told, you know, just wait and see what's around the corner before you worry about what's uh, on your plate. Things are getting crazier by the week.
0: Well, the other club that are- is clearly gonna be really tested is Geelong. So they've got the four games in 14 days. It's West Coast in Perth on Saturday, North Melbourne in Brisbane the following Wednesday, St Kilda the following Monday in Brisbane and Port Adelaide on the Friday in Brisbane. Now the big thing, they they get a four day break after they go from Perth to the Gold Coast, but that's off the back of a night game against West Coast. And uh, think about their list situation at the moment. Gary Ablett out for who knows how long with his horrible situation with his child. Joel Selwood with a, uh, a hamstring injury. Um, i tell you what, this, this next little period could make or break Geelong's whole campaign, I think.
1: Yeah, it's, in the end, it'll come down to availability of players. And I was really interested in how Geelong was going to fare as a season proposition in a normal well, normal season had we not had this 20 day bonanza putting strain on clubs and they're not well placed as you say with their list i mean stanley has to come up he's got to take his place in the team duncan narkle etc uh, but i was actually interested what their ladder position would be without Uh, having Cardinia Park, which we've pointed out over the last few seasons, has been such a safe haven for them to return to, especially when their form was down. So, combined not having Cardinia Park with this older list, with their current situation, they they are going to be required to perform Herculean efforts. I just want to ask you, Rowan, Essendon also, a couple of other teams came to mind with strains on their list already. Essendon with no Danaher, no Stringer, and some sort of, apparently, shortfalls in oh depth. Certainly the forward line they put out last week means that there is depth issues there. And North Melbourne, who have been twice caught out playing an injured player, which screams desperation in the depth stakes. How do these two teams, and we'll start with those two, handle a... 20-day period that demands, there's no way all 22 players that that start game one are expected to play all four games. How do those two clubs handle that, Ryan?
0: Well, Essendon, obviously, injury concerns, but they. I reckon they'd be pretty happy with what they got in this arrangement because they stay in Queensland and uh, they've got the first three of those four games at Metricon and then the last one at the Gabba and the opponents of Brisbane GWS Gold Coast and St Kilda, so the not having to travel, I think, is a huge bonus for them. Don't forget, they've still got that aborted round three game against Melbourne, which has got to be fitted in. That's there right.
1: Point. The window, we we have to. It's well, you know, it's like yeah, the I mean, AFL's, to... It's like the AFL hoping we forget it. That game's got to be played. Yeah. Well, this is
0: partly why uh they they're doing this now so that there's some sort of wriggle room should things continue to de- deteriorate on the health front north melbourne um yeah tough they've t- i mean we we mention their injuries they've got uh two games in queensland one at Metricon, one at the and then two in hobart to finish off but they've got three games in a nine day period so Look, I mean, there are huge challenges for everyone, but there's no doubt some clubs are being asked to uh, perform Herculean efforts in terms of keeping that list fresh and coping with the travel. And I think that travel requirement, gee, Collingwood, you know, if Collingwood can emerge from this stretch with four out of four, it'll be a remarkable effort indeed. But uh, there you go. I mean, this extraordinary season, extraordinary uh, things being asked of players. And uh, arguably extraordinary things being asked of fans, too, because we've got to somehow watch 20 consecutive days of footy. So uh, yeah, make sure you hydrate, make sure you get plenty of rest, bit of exercise, and uh, hopefully all of us involved in football can get through this amazing 20-day period.
1: Rowan, you sort of quite rightly mentioned that there's some challenges afoot, even for us, as we try and work out how we do our two programs with basically a structure that has a preview-review. That's okay when there's a start and end to the footy weekend. Um, Any ideas and sort of let the listeners in as to what we're doing, of which I'm Uh, a most interested party?
0: Yeah, well, I've had a think about it. I think what we will do, we are sticking with our two episodes per week, one recorded on Sunday evening, one on Thursday morning. And what we will do is both preview and review so for example uh well this sunday night same as usual but next thursday for example uh we will review the wednesday night game and uh, we will preview the remaining eight games of round nine uh etc cetera, etc cetera. so um yeah it's uh, there are challenges for all involved finding and uh that that is the basic philosophy of what we're
1: doing and just one last thing, and this was really weird to me. I don't even understand. I can't wrap my head around it. During this twenty day period, I noted that some teams have a bye. I mean, what does that exactly mean? A bye is normally a week off, so you get fourteen days, where you don't play footy. I'm pretty sure that's not happening. Is that just um? Is is that like a a, a a sort of a. a audit entry by the club book by the AFL bookkeepers to balance some some sort of ledger. I don't know what a buy means during that period.
0: Well it's a I guess it's a mini buy, but uh Carlton has one of them, uh Freo has one of them, uh GWS has one, Hawthorne have one, uh there's someone else in there too, who is it? Sydney have one. And the Eagles have one. So uh more power to them, hopefully. Uh, some of them might even enjoy that little rest period in their homes. But uh, it, it reminds me of,
1: you're a big Blackadder fan. I am. Do you remember when Blackadder finally, out of the decency of the bottom of his heart, and Blackadder the third, gives Baldrick, he's sort of uh, trodden on offside or a holiday, he goes, Baldrick, mm. you've, yeah. I've decided you can take a holiday. Really, sir? Yes. Did you enjoy it? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, poor old Paul.
0: Yeah, poor old uh,
1: team's having a bye.
0: All right, well, let's move on. We've got nine games to preview. Let's do that now. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round eight kicks off Thursday evening. Well, this evening, if you're listening to this today, and it is a bit of footy history being made. Gold Coast getting their first primetime slot uh, the Suns, who are four and three, their second ever, their second best start to a season ever. They are on home turf, 7.40pm, and they are taking on the red-hot Western Bulldogs. So it's a massive challenge for them. This is a big moment for a whole club, though, really. And uh, look, regardless of what happens in the game, hats off to them, because they have been kicked from pillar to post in the last few years, and now there's definitely a bit of, white on the horizon and uh, they play an attractive brand and I think people enjoy watching them and they've absolutely earned this rare spot in the sunlight. So fingers crossed they can keep it competitive. I've got to say though, finally, I do fear for them a bit because I watched the Doggies dismantle my own team last week and uh, they looked really, really good. They regained their potency up forward. I think their midfield is humming along beautifully uh, due in no small part to the performance of Tim English in the ruck, who's been terrific, but, you know, Jack McRae, Tom Liberatore getting back to some good form and, of course, the skipper, Marcus Bontempelli, and uh, they are looking like they're going to be a handful for anyone this season. Uh, pretty hard to tip against them, and I'm not. I'm going for the doggies. How do you see this one?
1: I'm definitely going for the bulldogs, but just shows... How quickly the fortunes of a club, not turn around, but how quickly a club can become um, a bit of the flavour of the month. And that's well-deserved, well-deserved. Rowell started the interest. It's sort of a pity that we never got to see Rowell and Rankin together, isn't it? Just the way things, uh, the cards fell on the table. And don't worry, we will in the future, but not yet and actually against the Swans, they weren't great. Rankin was a highlight, wits much better, uh, some good performances out of the back line, but they should have been much more um, productive up forward. They'll need to be against the Doggies. I'm with you, Rowan, but I think everybody who's watching the game uh, is looking forward to seeing them do, do right by the Thursday night primetime billing. Let's hope that it's a good game and that we see some of that potential for the future that... I think uh, has really been the highlight of their season so far.
0: Yep. So doggies for you. Oh, I think definitely. the one thing I think the one thing we can back in about this game is that won't descend into a dour, low-scoring scrap because uh, it's not the way either team plays. So. No. No.
1: Philosophically, there's no way that's going to happen. Only the weather would make that happen, but I don't know the forecast. The other thing is Jared Witz will not let Tim English rule the roost as he did against your Bombers last week. He's a pretty honest competitor, isn't he, Wits? So that'll be an interesting battle, because I thought that's where the Doggies actually won the game in the first half. I expect Wits to put a lot of time into English.
0: All right, so Doggies for both of us there. Uh, Let's talk about Friday evening. And uh, this one, I guess there's so much going on perhaps that's why but uh, for a grand final rematch this one really hasn't been talked about that much and grand final rematch of course means Richmond up against GWS this time at Giants Stadium Uh, the Giants yeah, just going at the moment in fact not going at all really and Richmond uh, a bit of deja vu going on at the moment they've got a catalogue of unavailability due to injury and personal reasons uh, but they continue to find a way and I thought um, they looked terrific last week and the likes of uh, Mabior Chol and Derek um, Egmoresi-Smith, how impressive was he? In fact, I think he ends up getting most of the coaches votes for that game. Really impressive performance from him off half-back, Shy Bolton. Um, and these players are not only this is the thing about it. I reckon finding what struck me about the Tigers, these guys aren't just coming in and filling a role in a tradesman-like manner. When you're talking about guys like Chole and Egmore S.E. Smith and Bolton, I know he's not sort of filling a gap, but these are guys with genuine excitement and X factors. So there's an argument that even though Richmond have lost, you know, some of their better players, they're actually an even more exciting side to watch with these guys in the mix. And boy, they can play. So yeah, you know, I think people might look at their personnel issues and go, "Well, G- GWS are pretty good, but GWS really ordinary form at the moment." Their biggest issue for me is they just can't get their ball into their scoring zone. They're consistently being smashed on the inside fifty counts. They've got away with it a couple of times because they're pretty efficient, but uh, they are going to have to do better than that against the Tigers.
1: You're tipping Richmond. I am tipping Rich. Yeah, I'm not. I'm going to tip the Giants. I tend to pendulum swing on the Giants and I guess I'm going to swing back in favour because Toby Green is back in the team or at least that's what I've been led to believe. It makes a big difference but you're right, he doesn't really make a big difference in terms of getting the ball inside 50 so that's going to have to improve. They didn't get what they expected out of Sam Jacobs. I'm not sure if they're getting what they need out of his replacement Mumford. So questions there. Nevertheless, Richmond does have a lot of players out We do have a lot of players out. And, and oh, I, I think that the fixture helped them a little bit because in the depths of their problems, their first two games were against Sydney and North Melbourne. We we know that they only just beat Sydney, but Sydney likewise have been stricken. And North Melbourne, they're just rudderless at the moment. So this is a far more earnest test with a hampered list. And I've got to say, if Richmond win this, I'll be dipping my lids to them and probably... Staying on your bandwagon, which success, suggests a Richmond. What are you, are you tipping Richmond now? Richmond to win the whole thing? Yep, I've never.
0: wavered. No, from, you but... haven't wavered.
1: I know that you no, like West might... Coast as well, and uh, yeah, we might well be heading in that direction if Richmond win this. But I think the Giants have more to say than just bowing out meekly. Because I tell you what, if they lose at Roko, I don't think they can make top four, and we know that that is pretty much curtains as far as premiership contention, which is bad for a runners-up to be out of the running so early in the season.
0: Yep, agreed. Uh, Real flashpoint of a season for them. All right, so I'm going for Richmond. You're going for GWS. Yep. Let's talk about Saturday, and Saturday's menu kicks off at the Gabba, 1.05pm with North Melbourne taking on Carlton now. Here
1: <laughs> it's just funny to hear that. You know, when you said Gabber at 105, I'm really, you know, I'm thinking, all right, this is another one from Brisbane. Who have they got? North Melbourne Carlton, not the Gabber, of course. Why should I be in any doubt that that was going to happen?
0: Well, if any North Melbourne person hears Carlton, they're usually just grateful that they didn't end up becoming Carlton's reserves or something, given they tried to yeah, take them true. over. That's but, right. Uh, massive challenge for the Roos, uh, speaking of personnel issues. So, uh, Jack Zebel looks like probably a month out um, with that hamstring injury. Of course, Kyron Hayden knocked out last week that gutsy marking attempt. You'd think he wouldn't be likely to play. Uh, Cunnington, eh, can't see it with him. Um, so, you know, who's going to come in? Zerha, I guess, comes back. Anderson should come back. Uh, Mad Jack
1: door perhaps. Yeah, they'll um, play Mad Jack, I reckon.
0: Well, there you go. I mean, it's uh, even if they do, it, it is a calculated gamble. The Blues, meanwhile, well, you reckon they'd be absolutely stinging after losing that game against Port last week after the siren. Gee, it would have been a, a good win for them, but I do still think they can take the benefits from that. They are playing some really good and entertaining football and uh they're pretty healthy list wise too so you know they've got a few guys pushing for selection uh zach fisher one of them paddy dow almost a bit of a a forgotten man um and uh like jack silvani what's that well he's out for another fortnight he uh had a knee injury i think after returning from his rib issue but plenty of um selection possibilities for the blues who are humming along nicely and uh I can't see. Uh, I can't see them losing this one. I think it's five losses on end coming to the roost.
1: Just a bit of a, not not a bit of a lot of a different dynamic. Carlton will start warm favourites in this one, and that's something that Carlton have not been able to wrap their head around in recent years. There've been periods where they've had some good wins. And it comes to naught if you can't beat North Melbourne. Now, they didn't beat Port Adelaide, but most people, us included, think that they probably derive more benefit from the actual game than Port Adelaide does in terms of going forward. Uh, Carlton took another step forward. One thing we've seen under David Teague, Rowan, and this is a great sign for Carlton, is that they never, ever give up the game. And that's seen some comebacks. They almost came back from 30-plus points down against Melbourne. Could easily have won that. Even games that they can't win, really. In St Kilda, they were done at three-quarter time. But they still, after conceding an early goal in the last quarter, looked like they could lose by anything over 50. Still brought it back to a couple of goals with just playing in the moment. They don't, they don't lose focus. And everybody... Every club will say, especially with a young list, you know, we're trying to build team unity and self-belief. The self-belief's great, but that's not true. Self-belief only comes when on-field performances are such that the players start to really believe in each other. And that group believes that as a team, no bridge too far. So when they conceded the first three goals against Port, no panic stations. It's a great sign. It, It gets them to win against North. They'll beat North Melbourne, I think. Um... They could go – that's the sort of team I think that can handle these tough challenges ahead in the next four or five rounds. I think they're really mentally well-placed to platform off this North win and end up in the top four at the end of that 20-day period.
0: Well, that would be a uh, an amazing thing to witness, T. It's been a long time since we saw the Blues that uh, high on the ladder. Uh, all right, second game on Saturday, and uh, it is – wow – uh, times have changed, haven't they? Only two or three years ago, we'd be looking at this and uh, a mouth-watering prospect, Sydney taking on Hawthorne, of course, having clashed in two grand finals in a three-season period between 2012 and 14. But uh Swans certainly going through a rebuilding phase. And Hawthorne, well, actually, just on that, I have written a column about the Hawks and where their list stands and uh, I guess how the equalisation process in footy, they've done magnificently well to withstand it, but it always ends up getting you in the end, and I think in their case, the durability of those senior players has probably, in a way, thwarted the development of the younger guys on their list. Anyway, that is up on the footyology site today, have a read of it. If you're a Hawk fan, have a read of it anyway. But these two clubs, definitely in transitional periods and uh, pretty much a shadow of what they both were back in the Halcyon days. That said, and the Hawks have been awful last three weeks, but you can't escape Sydney's personnel issues. They are dire and uh, we've talked all season about them not having a forward line to speak of. Well, I haven't had much of a midfield now, either missing Kennedy and Heaney. Um, and not much light on the horizon in terms of potential players returning. The Hawks.
1: Sam Reed might well, come back though.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that would might. be a big plus. Yep. Um, Hawks have got a few more options, I think. Uh, we're talking about Jarman Impey, actually, on the cusp of a senior return. That would be exciting. Uh, Tim O'Brien, of course, they lose him uh, with that ankle injury. Uh, Patton's still out with that hamstring. So they've got issues up forward as well. But I just think in this case, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but the Hawks are probably in less ordinary shape than are the Swans. So on that basis alone, really, I'm going for Hawthorne.
1: Can I just um, reconfirm the game's at the SCG, is it? The
0: game is at the SCG, but uh, I tell you what, that's not what it was either because the Swans... Uh, If they lose this, that'll be their 17th loss on the SCG in the past three
1: seasons. (laughs) Amazing. I am tipping the Swans, nevertheless. Uh, They played, as I said, quite competitive, not bad against uh, the Gold Coast Suns. Hawthorne, uh, uh, I I think they're in sort of free fall. They've got no forward line now. O'Brien's actually a big loss without Patton and Mitchell, Lewis, Lewis, Mitchell. There's certainly, I, I, look, exactly where Clarko is mind-wise at the moment is interesting with this sort of um, internal, not squabble, but question. When Jeff Kennett's looking over your shoulder, it can't be all that comfortable. Now, does that manifest itself on the field? It, it, for one of the very few times in my life, the first line of their club song might not be correct, and these things do resonate. They do, I think, filter through the club. And one thing about say about the Swans, they don't seem to have taken. They take adversity well, and they don't seem to have taken these latest travails any worse than recent years. They can. They still go out and give a wholehearted effort. They've got the common Medal leader. Then again, what you you know. At 15 goals, it's not unbelievable, but Papley's a little beauty. I think Reid could really help them if he played. I'm going to tip the Sydney Swans. Last time I rode Hawthorne off was that what was it, three years ago, when they the St Kilda annihilated them in Tassie. They looked like they were free-falling, and by the end of the year, they look good again. So here we go, finally. Egg on face time, foot in mouth, but I'm con- tipping Hawthorne to continue plummeting and Sydney to win.
0: Well, this is a good moment at which to quote Peter McKenna on endless Saturday nights on Channel 7 in the early 90s. Oh, you just can't ride Hawthorne off. So uh, certainly a good test of their resilience after a pretty lean period for them.
1: Can I give you another Hawthorne quote? Yeah. Uh, I was actually um, in communication. No, nah, it's a, Sausages is a Sausages, famous one. Little boy at the
0: crossroads, uh, the shoes... Yeah, the there good go ones. On. All good. <laughs>
1: good one. But this one was might have even been a North Melbourne quote. I don't know, because it was a John Kennedy quote. But I was in communication last night with somebody who you know, and Nigel Carmody, of course. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, no, now a great commentator, but also a um, player manager. And uh, talking about the umpiring on Monday night, he reminded me of a, great, a John Kennedy quote, which is brilliant. Do you remember that quote about the oh. umpires? Yeah, I have no comment. Uh, normally,
0: I, I, normally I'd say no comment, but today I'm saying absolutely, absolutely no
1: comment. comment. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he was a clever
0: bloke. The great Kangaroo. All right. Let's move to Saturday evening. And this is an appetizing clash. Uh, two of the better performed sides of the season, and certainly two, well, arguably the two best sides to watch at the moment. And uh, talking about Port Adelaide. And your Saints finding that battle takes place at 7.10 local time, 7.40 Eastern Standard Time. And, uh, well, some issues for uh, Port Adelaide on the injury front. Connor Rosie, Ryan Burton, Stephen Motlop, all injured last week and all in doubt. And of those three, um, Motlop, Burton almost certainly out. is yeah, the only one who might get up. Um, so some real issues uh, there. Um, who comes back? Well, Tom Rockwell, if you'd think, probably. Wiley um, Bonner, um, probably, you know, that's a pretty reasonable death for them. Saints, uh, list-wise, uh, they've got some interesting selections to make. too. Josh Battle, of course, took that really heavy knock last week. Will he come up? No, he's, he's been ruled out already. Out already is he okay? Paddy Ryder probably keeps
1: his spot. Absolutely, that's an interesting one, Rowan. There's been a a lot of debate by people who love statistics. Um, John Ralph straight after the game bringing up you can't play these two together, Uh, referring to Paddy Ryder and Rowan Marshall. That's absolute rubbish. They are certain to play, and I'll tell you this. The only difference, the only difference between St Kilda and Adelaide on Monday night because I think Adelaide were very competitive. I thought their the forward line was as dangerous as St Kilda's. In fact, all around the ground, it was an even battle except in one place, and that was at the clearances where Ryder dominated. And Marshall still was useful. They're not dropping Rowan Marshall, and I guarantee you they won't drop Paddy Ryder against his previous team. And they'll look to take advantage with Laddams having to carry the ruck duties because there's no Scott Lysette. So be assured that Ryder will stay in the team.
0: Well, Adams was very impressive
1: last week. Very last good, year. wasn't he? Wasn't he?
0: Um, so, yeah, look, I, I haven't given him a tip yet. No, I, I think I've agonised over this one more than the others because Port do look a bit vulnerable. Just got over the line against the Blues. You know, is that softening them up for... Another loss. Uh, the Saints, yeah, I mean, as funny as it sounds, given it was that away, I thought that ended up being a pretty decent win. They certainly steadied at the end. But, look, I, I guess uh, at home, that's probably in the end what swings it for me. I'm going for Port, but not with any great confidence.
1: There's going to be a great matchup in this game. Dougal Howard has hit some form. What a great goal he kicked. And It was a great goal, yeah, He's yeah. playing with a bit of confidence and a bit of – he's, he's – Quite a good backman, you know. He punctures at the right time and he goes through at the right time. And uh, apparently, according to the St Kilda website, he's already started the uh, fun SMS war with some old Port Adelaide mates. And I'm just reading between the lines, and I don't think Dixon was one of them. In other words, mates at Port Adelaide. I don't know why. I just get a he's looking very, very much anticipating playing on Dixon and um, proving something to both Port Adelaide, who would stopped playing him as a defender, and to Dixon, who he did not enjoy sharing a forward line with, apparently. So look forward to that one. I'm going He's to tip... pretty... Yep. Yeah, go on, sorry. No, go on. I'm going to tip St Kilda. Why am I tipping St Kilda? Uh, first of all, I think it's actually not bad playing at the same ground two weeks in a row. And, you know, it's like a racehorse. <laughs> Sometimes they win, they go, oh, that's two wins in two weeks, so that horse took a year and a half to break its maiden, that's what sort of, so, actually, not bad for a team that has struggled at Adelaide Over, which has its nuances, not bad to play there the week before, I reckon, and beyond yeah. that, I think you make a good point. I Port Adelaide, look, Carlton were great. Uh, after the first ten minutes, Port Adelaide just could not, they, they really couldn't in any meaningful way um, link up and, and put together any good possession football. St Kilda puts a lot of pressure on. They're a good pressure team, the Saints. So I think if they can reapply the pressure that they did against Adelaide, why not? They can win that game. I'll go the Saints.
0: All right. So we differ on that. I'm going to support your going for the Saints. We've had a lot different this round. To at Oval. So only, uh, yeah. Uh, Only 12 hours after that Saturday night game. Same venue. It is Adelaide taking on Essendon and I'm doing what you did last week Finey, this is danger danger, danger written all over at this one for the Bombers who have a long and proven history of falling against sides they are expected to win against but more than that I thought Adelaide uh, clearly as competitive as they've been so far this season in that game against the Saints there were moments where it looked like they might come over the top they're at home and i think it's a worst case scenario with a from a selfish point of view please win Adelaide because then you've broken the ice and then the following weeks probably a wet down whereas now it's gee we've come so close if they get a sniff against the bombers look out and uh you know it would be a fair bit of stigma attached to being the first side to lose to the crows given the state they've been in but Things aren't looking good uh, personnel wise. Still got, um, well, another injury added to the list now, of course, Carl Hooker, who is out with a calf injury. Aaron France is still out. Um, and then, uh, obviously, you mentioned him earlier Jake Stringer, Joe Danner, Dyson Heppel. Uh, just seems Essendon can't get an injury to anyone other than a key a player pivotal to the lineup. So, uh, what will they do? They are going to have to make some sort of change to replace hooker. I'm not sure. I guess if Zerk you thinks think it's probably a pretty obvious candidate to come in there. Uh, actually, sorry, I, I lied. Aaron Francis is available. So either of those two get a Guernsey. Um, the Crows, well, they could get Darcy Fogarty back this week. Fogarty? Someone picked me up on that. I was saying Fogarty. maybe it is Fogarty. Is it Fogarty or Fogarty? It's Fogarty isn't it? Yeah, do, I think it do, is. Do,
1: do, look it out man. Uh, well, that's,
0: that's what I blame, the credence week. <laughs> um, but personnel-wise, Adelaide looking okay. So, yeah, look, in the end, I'm going for Essendon, but I don't reckon it's going to be by much, if at all. And losing Hooker this week, particularly, is a, a pretty savage blow to... What do you reckon happens here? I reckon,
1: I reckon you've just tipped an upset. I really do. This will be the week that the slightly um, uh, harsh penalty of two weeks to Dylan Shiel is going to play out, I think. You need Dylan Shiel. Absolutely. McGrath, it, it showed last week, he was still probably your best midfielder, but they put a bit of attention and focus on McGrath, which means he gets the very annoying keys, whose sort of talent is limited. Some he, I know he kicked a goal, but he's he can, he's a very poor kick. But boy, oh boy, he certainly knows how to harangue an opponent and he'll be haranguing McGrath, I imagine, because body shape and importance of McGrath seems to be the match. Now, with no Shuel, uh, time for Zach Merritt to really stand up. Zaharakis. So you've got a lot of Zeds, you're starting to look like North Melbourne. You'll have Zaharakis, Zerk Thatcher, and Zach. You don't see that very often. Can't wait till you play Zerhar Zebel and maybe Zeri or whatever his name is. So <laughs> the <laughs> the I don't know what the odds are, but I'd be surprised if Essendon's heavy favourite in this one. Riley O'Brien probably will get the ruck battle, whether he plays against Phillips or Chambers. He's pretty good, O'Brien. He's weird, but he's good. Just you see what he did last week? He took the ball from a boundary throw in and he threw it mid-air, two-handed, to the rover. So weird it was, the umpire didn't recognise it. I, know, I thought you were going to say made a phone call on his new phone or something. He could, he's capable of it. He's an interesting cat, but I think he'll get the better of the ruck battles. As I said, Walker was interesting, but he kicked a great roving goal. Took a great mark that wasn't paid. Didn't do a lot else, but um, without Hooker, might find things a bit easier. And I'm worried about that forward line of, of Essendon. So I just can't see Hibbard and Kale. Will they hold their spots?
0: Uh, I'm not sure Kurt. Yeah, I I don't think both of them will. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, neither. Yeah, it was tough on Kale in his first game. He had, yeah, hasn't quite measured up to the mark, I think. So at least one, if not both of
1: them go. You know what? I'd be bloody impressed if Essendon won this. So I, I think they go into this really backs against the wall. I'm tipping Adelaide.
0: All right. So that is uh, four we differ on out of uh, six. So far, so it's a very yeah. interesting comparison. Okay, I said we had one grand final rematch. Well, we've got two. We've got rematches in the one round of the past two grand finals, and this clearly for mine the game of the round. It is a beauty, and it is uh, one thirty-five local time, three thirty-five Eastern Standard Time, West Coast taking on Collingwood at Optus Stadium Sunday afternoon. You kick
1: this one off, Bonnie. Thanks. You've definitely given me the um, pick of the round, I, I would say. West Coast against Fremantle still, to my reckoning, have not quite hit their straps. So what does that mean for Collingwood, who certainly are the form team in the competition at the moment? If West Coast continue to drag the chain a bit, they're getting better and they're well positioned with four wins. Don't get me wrong. They've got a beautiful platform for the rest of the season. But in the here and now, they have to play better to beat Collingwood. Again, as I said with the Saints returning to Adelaide Oval again, look, you know, this is Collingwood's home base. They had a very good win on this ground against Geelong. So I certainly don't feel, even though there will be a, a strong West Coast presence in the crowd. There'll also be a lot of Collingwood fans. Don't worry about that. That it's quite the uh, fortress that would be in a normal season. And on exposed form, I have to go for Collingwood, Rowan. I really do. I I just think that their football, which is so good defensively, takes out of the equation, potentially, the way that West Coast are going to win this game. The way they won last week, really, was Kennedy for Darling two. Uh, beyond that, not a lot to separate them and their cross-town rivals. Collingwood have the answer because their back line is so well organised. It's not just a matter of saying, well, hang on, Roughhead's not as good as Kennedy or, or you know, those two guys match up well against the Collingwood bigs in defence. No, it's not about that. It's, not, it's, it's about how the Collingwood defence works as a unit, how they help each other. I'm going for Collingwood, Rowan.
0: Oh, uh, and uh, absolute justification in that. I mean, we, we know how well they travel as a rule. They certainly stand up well against West Coast, haven't necessarily won, although they last meeting they did. They won uh, this corresponding clash last year by a point. Great performance. I think personnel for me is probably going to be the difference. And when we say personnel, one guy in particular, the absence of Jordan Goey. Uh, He at the moment is their man, he's their creative spark, he's their goal kicker, five of course last week in that great win over the Cats. So him being out with that finger injury, that is a massive loss for them. Alternately, uh, West Coast get their skipper back and you can't think of a more valuable inclusion for them than Week Shuey. So it certainly helps them even up the midfield numbers to a degree and the quality. Um, Be interesting to see what the Pies do with Mason Cox. I suspect he'll probably play. Uh, He has caused the Eagles a problem here and there in the past, and I think they need the height against that West Coast defence, which uh, is uh, fantastic at zoning off and intercepting both marks and kicks. So I think Cox will, will play. Um, but, yeah, I, I just can't get past the absence of the goey He is a critical, critical part of the Magpie machine. And, uh, look, West Coast, you know, they're winning now. They're not playing sparkling footy. I mean, it was a pretty dour sort of win in the Derby last week. But uh, it is coming together. Kennedy looking pretty ominous, particularly last week, and that forward line looking potent again. I reckon this is going to be close as anything, but I think, they will get over the line. So West Coast for me.
1: You know, Rowan, in football, which doesn't have a lot of the old matchups that we used to love, centre-half forward versus full forward, the one matchup that still exists in footy is when the Ruckman go head-to-head. And to me, this is the heavyweight clash of the season. I know people rate Gorn very highly, but for me, the best Ruckman is Nat Nui. The best follower is Grundy. And that'll be a great battle of wills, won't it? I, I'm looking f- And not Rupert. I'm really looking forward to this battle.
0: Yep. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, No, it's appetising on many levels. Should be an absolute cracker Sunday afternoon. So the second-last game of Round 8 and the final game of Sunday is Melbourne taking on Brisbane at Metrocon Stadium. Why don't you take us through this one as well?
1: Melbourne... My- Impressive, weren't they, in their win last week? Impressive for a couple of reasons. Uh, Petrarca has received a lot of the accolades, so he should have. But... Is this not the best, and I don't know if it's the best two weeks of Sam Wiedemann's career, but it's the most meaningful fortnight he's played, I think, because it comes at a time when they desperately needed to rejig the forward line. It comes on the back, not of the three goals he kicked. Two of those goals were from in the goal square. A handball over the top and a magnificent pass by Petrarca. That laced ball that shaped its way over an opponent's head by a foot and and landed in Wiedemann's lap. No, it was about his competitive nature in going for balls that ended up on the ground, to the dangerous Cosy Pickett, to swoopers that were making good on his commitment to at least provide the contest. But they come up against, he comes up this week against the best, one of the best three defenders in the comp, Harris Andrews, or the best? No, I'll go the best. I think he's the best tall defender in the AFL, marking when he needs to, spoiling when he needs to, courageous to a fault. So big test for Wiedemann. The midfield was good for Melbourne. Um and the Brisbane midfield actually had an even performance because none of them got over twenty possessions last week. Just showed how well they carry the load. The danger of course for Melbourne comes in that uh that very, very fast and agile, versatile and now beautifully balanced forward line, doesn't it? Uh careful don't forget Lincoln McCarthy. Oh, hang on. You've got to pay attention to Rayner. No, Cameron's got it. Or is it Hipwood having a shot from 60? They've all got different qualities, but it's death by, not a 1,000 cuts. It'll be death by four or five goals. Brisbane to win.
0: Yeah, I think this is absolutely a danger game for them. It's something to really like about the way the these have played in the last fortnight. And, uh, you know, a lot's been said about Christian Petrarca, but he's He's great to watch when he's on song. I really enjoy watching him. Do you think um, do you think St
1: Kilda would have been better to get him than McCartan now? Uh yeah. Yeah, but, you uh, think so? Not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the time it was yeah. very controversial, bro. It really yeah, was.
0: Well it's a it's a tough debate to have now, given one guy out really hasn't had a chance at it. But um uh Melbourne have a interesting decision to make about Tom McDonald, who of course didn't play last week, but uh you reckon he comes back. Uh, Brisbane uh, certainly got a reasonable amount of height, so probably need him on that score as much as anything. Um, both in terms of health and fitness of their list, looking in pretty good shape, particularly the Lions. And that was a really a good all-round performance against the Giants last week, a really solid win. I think, um, and uh, yeah, they, they've got no injuries. They're playing good footy. Uh, they're not at their home ground, but they're in their home state. Uh, Melbourne adjusting well to life up there as well now, but I, I think they'll be pushed. I think it's a real danger game for them, but uh, not enough to make me tip uh, the underdog. I think have to go for Brisbane in this one. So Finally, we're actually we both agree. going for the same team.
1: Yes, well done,
0: Rob. Okay, and final game of round eight and a more Monday night football fair. Do
1: you reckon Monday night football worked last week? Are you happy with it? Uh, Because it's funny, I was thinking, oh, it's Monday night footy's coming up, but that only matters if if you've got a weekend. And uh, when you're in lockdown at home, I I don't even, it was Monday night footy, but you've got to remind me what day it is today. Uh, Days are nowhere near the same as what they used to be. So
0: Monday by name,
1: but not by nature.
0: In another two weeks, Monday Night Football is going to look like a traditional time slot. Uh, so uh, this is an interesting one. Fremantle taking on Geelong, 6.10 local time, 8.10 on the East Coast. And uh, look, the Dockers, I'm getting sick of saying this, but they have been, if nothing else, very competitive. They haven't been blown away in any game. They've always given solid effort. And that was the case again last week, although to be fair, they never really looked like they were going to challenge the Eagles at any stage. The Cats, well, they're just up and down. Every time we look like uh, we're convinced and they're looking ominous, they disappoint. And that was the case again last week. And they now have real personnel issues. Uh, No Ablett, no Selwood, uh, no Jordan Clark. Uh, Got Mitch Duncan to come back, of course, and Tom Stewart probably likely to come back. So they're pretty reasonable in fairness but uh they've got their issues the cats uh they haven't got a great record in perth um i think this is another danger game but again i don't have the uh to actually tip the upset here i'll tell you what the end of this round one of us is going to be completely stuffed on the tipping front the other one's going to be looking well so um gonna be interesting to see which way this falls but i can't again I think Freo's effort's good. I'm respectful of that, but I think Geelong is very much the better side and they need to win. Uh, I'm going for the Cats.
1: Freo going to play in front of a home crowd. I know they played at home last week, sort of, but not in front of a home crowd, in as much as West Coast dominated the numbers there with the fans. Uh, Very important selection tonight. Uh, We look at Fife Does he play. We look at Hogan, Logue. There's uh, sort of questions to be answered at the selection table. I cannot tip Geelong, though. The reason I can't tip Geelong is because another team, I don't know where their next midfielder comes from, and they need another midfielder without Selwood. And Ablett does take a bit of a turn in the midfield to help them out. Duncan's a wingman. Look, he's a very good addition to the team. Uh, Do they bring the other Guthrie in? He's sort of just been going when he played okay. Guthrie, Mark 2. Their ruck, Darcy, fought. Now, you know, Lobb's gone along pretty well. Um, Sean Darcy, do do they need both of them? They'll have to look at exactly how much height they bring in for I think they've got some options where I think Geelong is now getting stretched. And this is exactly the game in a normal season, would have been at GMHBA and you couldn't tip Freo in a million years. But they don't get that safe harbour to sail into this year, Geelong. No, they're not going to win it. This or much else, I'm tipping Freo. All
0: right, so there you go. Well, there's a first for us. We normally differ a one or two. We we have gone differently in six of the nine games.
1: And you know what that means? We'll both tip uh, the same but... number of winners. We'll split <laughs> we'll split the six. You know, we'll yeah. get three each and Robert's your mother's brother.
0: Yeah, so uh check the in in fact uh on the footyology uh page carrying containing this podcast, you can see just down the bottom there I've put the tips. So uh check out our tallies. I think I'm ahead by two at the moment. So good chance for you to either get it pull ahead of me, or completely crash from contention. Um, so keep your eye on those tips. Cool. All right, there is round eight previewed. Uh, let's change tack finally. Uh, we love uh, stepping back in time, whatever the subject matter. I think you should step back in time and discuss a range of subjects, some music, some movies, TV, and a bit of footy as well. Let's do that right now. Vinyl and video, pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Okay, here we go. My choice of year, finding this might surprise you, but uh, I have decided to delve into the 21st century, mainly because we've got quite a few years of the 21st century we haven't touched on yet, Um. But uh, this is a good one, Uh, some really good popular culture, and I'm talking about 2003, which, uh, well, it's getting on for two decades ago now, so it's a fair time. But uh, let's start with music. And I don't know what you've picked. I'm not aware of your selections this week, but uh, I know what mine is in 2003. It is an American punk band I have come to love, Uh, seen them, every time they've been out here, and I'm talking about the Bronx. And uh, ironically, perhaps, given the name, they hail from LA. <laughs> but <laughs> That's their debut album, uh, all their albums have been uh, just uh, numbered. So this was self-titled, and the next one was the Bronx 2, 3, 4, etc. They are also an incredibly interesting band finding because – they have uh, an alternative guise in which they play mariachi music, and they've recorded three albums of mariachi music under the name um, uh, Mariachi El Bronx. Are they in the uh, South Park? Are, country, are they in the South city, Park their episode? Punk stuff definitely is, and this is uh, classic punk sound. This straight down the line, a million miles an hour, um, anguished shouty sort of vocals um but it works musically they are great look it's got uh it's got great pop sensibilities a lot of the bronx stuff i just love it if you if you love stuff like the sex pistols or classic punk i reckon you will love the bronx and their debut album for me is their best uh tracks well you know those who are familiar with them uh it, it's wall-to-wall great songs this uh, album i love them all. heart attack american False Alarm, um, They Will Kill Us All, uh, Guns Without Bullets, Kill My Friends. Uh, the other thing about the Bronx is they do fantastic film clips. And I urge you to look up two film clips of songs of this album in particular. False Alarm, which is basically the whole thing is uh, old horror movie, shots from old black and white horror movies. You'd love it, funny Absolutely have a look at it. False Alarm by the Bronx. And another one, They Will Kill Us All, which has a, uh, a black rapper sort of strutting around the streets of LA, um, miming the lyrics to this. You don't often see the band in any of their clips, but it's a fantastic clip. This is a great album. It's good fun. It's a million miles a minute. Uh, if you if you love punk music and you haven't heard this, really urge you to have a listen to it. The Bronx self-title. What's your music story?
1: Rowan, I'm going to reach into that deep kit bag of mine that has many different music types and styles, and I think you would probably get an inkling and in the listeners that I like dance music, proper dance music, actually getting up on a dance floor and dancing to house music, even though I can't do that ever again, probably. I'll be too old by the time we're allowed to do that again. I was too old anyhow when I was doing it. But there's a duo from England called Basement Jacks. Have you heard of them? They, got one, they had one standout yeah, song uh... and film clip. Where's Your Head At? Correct. Is it? Yeah. that's yeah. And that's what everybody knows. Where's your head at? So that's yeah. really popular. That's a that's sort of a standard. That came out in 2002. And cashing in on that was their 2003 album that won the MTV Award for Best Electronic Dance Music. It was called Kish Cash. Now, in terms of taking tracks off Kish Kash that are individually relevant or singles, not so. There's a song "Love Rock" and a couple of others that I guess they tried to release as the singles. They had no success, but the overall sound of the album is fantastic for um, dance music. It's up. It's called big beat electronic, so it's sort of up market up, not up market upbeat house music. And if you like "Where's Your Head At," which most people are familiar with, then there is a lot of that feel to it. There's um, because they're a duo that doesn't play instruments, they work off turntables, there's a lot of sounds that aren't musically um, instrumental, for example. There's a lot of industrial sounds you get off it. Things like, I don't know if you're familiar with what are used in dance tracks, things like um, they sample jet engines and trains and various other uh, sounds. And that's a bit of a feature of... um, their innovative style, They're best compared to a, a, a duo from France, the the legendary Daft Punk, who they actually teamed up with on a number of occasions. So, Kish Cash from Basement Jacks.
0: All right, uh, there's two very different sounding records.
1: Three, uh, if you is... include the mariachi that you alluded to. Well, true,
0: true, and uh, and that's good. That's good. Uh, unusual, perhaps, for me. Um, to get that sort of variety. Anyway, let's move on to movies, and I love this movie. I reckon a lot of people do. It's a ripper. It's uh, it's got a great vibe about it. It's it's funny. Um, it's uh, the message is is good. Uh, it's a you know warm hearted, inclusive film, uh, and it's about rock music, funny. And I'm talking about School of Rock. And uh, I've seen this movie a number of times and it's one of the few movies I can see repeatedly because there's so many great parts in it and a great cast too. Jack Black, of course, the star of the show, but also featuring Joan Cusack, uh, Sarah Silverman, the comedian, who plays the uh, the support character's rather, or should say rather, bitchy girlfriend. And uh, the young female star, Miranda Cosgrove, who off the back of this movie, became a big uh, kids TV star. She had a, um, what was that show called, Uh I, Carly, I think. Mm-hmm. She hasn't done as much as an adult, but um, she's a very good actress and she's great in this role. She plays the slightly prissy young girl. And the plot is that Jack Black is a guitarist in a, uh, oh sorry, I think he's vocalist, in a struggling rock band. He gets booted out of the band. He can't pay his rent and uh, one day he just happens to pick up a phone call intended for his housemate offering him a substitute teaching job in a music school, and uh, Jack decides to grab that for himself because he's so desperate for rent money, so he impersonates the substitute teacher, rolls into this rather snooty music school and takes these kids for music. He then stumbles upon the idea of getting a band together and they enter a battle of the bands contest the prize money of which is going to enable him to pay his rent um, but the kids in this film are great they're very well cast uh it's funny there's some fantastic scenes in it uh one of my favorites is where they go to see or oh, they go to see a rock band play or or uh yeah i think they go and see an adult rock band play and they're coming back in jack's camper van thing and he is playing immigrant song by wed zeppelin and pointing out the uh, wonders of wed zeppelin to these young kids so it's a great introduction to rock music for them um and it was for my kids actually i remember introducing my kids to a whole host of music of my generation as a result great film it's it's like i said great feel to it and jack black's terrific in that role people can find him a bit over the top but he's perfect for this movie, uh school of rock. Have you
1: seen it finding? Yep. Yeah, kids my like kids it. love it. Very enjoyable. Yeah. Very enjoyable. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All, right. uh, all right. Okay. The the opposite to up is down, correct? Uh yes, uh, usually, yeah. Um so, uh, you give me the opposites. Small. Big Yes. No. Cat. Dog. Now now see how do I people say that? That's got nothing to do with my film, but why is the opposite of a cat a dog? Why isn't the opposite of a cat a lamington?
0: Why a lamington?
1: It's just anything. I mean, a cat and a dog. They're just two animals. Oh,
0: two most popular domestic. I I understand.
1: Ask 100 (laughs) people, 99, and say the opposite cat is a dog, but I don't know if that's correct. Um, The opposite to School of Rock, if there was a movie that is the direct opposite of School of Rock. School of Rock's great fun to watch. Great to watch, isn't it? It is. The My nomination is so difficult to watch. It is such a painful movie from the outset. So hard to watch, especially if you're a parent, that I can barely recommend it. Have you seen Mystic River? Uh, You know what? Uh, This
0: is a horrible thing to say. I've got a feeling I have, but I cannot remember a single thing about it. So tell me. It
1: it starts, three kids, best mates growing up, are playing street hockey. And it just seems, uh, you know, back when in the 70s or whatever, they did it. It, A normal thing to do, street hockey, you know, like ice hockey, but on the street with those long sticks and a ball. And it's just like... Hang on. Uh, Hang on. Does one of them get kidnapped? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it's, have some... it's just the way it happens. You know, this black car pulls up, yeah, and these very nefarious people, you know, just you know, tell off this kid because and it was just the one of the three kids was was chasing a ball down. The ball went down the drain or something, and they got angry with him. You know, and he was young; he didn't know what to do. And they told him to get to tell the parents, get in the car. We're taking you home. You shouldn't be doing that. And they didn't. And the kid got taken away. From For a long time, and you know he was—it was terrible. You know they—they—he wasn't killed, but he was kidnapped and and brutalised, and then he was released, and therefore he was never the same. He, He played by Tim Robbins. This is directed by Clint Eastwood, and many years later, in that same small community, a child goes missing, and the movie takes up from there, and it's just the hardest saddest cruel it's just a very difficult movie to watch not to say it's not well made rewarding or gripping but if you like uh, I, I did this in my review you know of, of the fifty movies that they're not all movies and I, there's a movie in there i the movie I put in there it's a French movie called irreversible they the irreversible and mystic river stand out to me as movies that are n- you leave the theatre or having watched it very drained. So, this is not escapism, fun, or lighthearted. But if you're willing to transport yourself and sit down and be part party to a a very, you know, a, a gut wrenching, heartbreaking situation, then it's a well made movie. It's a good movie. Boy, hard to watch though. All right. Uh, let's talk about TV. I'm
0: I'm going the white-hearted comedy route here as well. One of my favourite shows. And I discovered it late. I think a lot of people did. It became a cult classic. In fact, there's a bit of a story around that because it only ran for three seasons and was critically acclaimed, but the ratings were poor. But over after it was put out on DVD, it just became a bit of a cult classic, so much so that Netflix ended up reviving the show for a fourth season, uh, a good five years, or seven years, I think, after the third season aired. The show is Arrested Development, and uh, it's a cracker, this, and it uh, it is bizarre in some ways. It's about a very dysfunctional, wealthy family um, that Uh, deals in some very dodgy business practices and uh, every single character in this show is stuffed up in some way or another it's a great cast uh, featuring Jason Bateman who plays Michael Bluth his son Michael Chera uh, who plays George Michael Uh, the father George played by Jeffrey Tambor Lucille played the wife uh, George's wife played by Jessica Walter Buster. Hang on, there's He's there's
1: like, three seals in the program.
0: Yeah, correct. Uh Liza Minnelli plays the second one. Not sure of the
1: third one. The third one the third one, one is the one at the beach that bites off the son's
0: hand. Oh, Loose <laughs> Lucille, that's right.
1: <laughs> that's right.
0: Uh my favorite character, Tobias Funky, uh played by David Cross, who's um weirdest uh, predilection is uh, never wanting to be nude so he showers in a pair of cut-off denim shorts what does his, what got, does
1: his business card read
0: uh i uh, <laughs> uh, and, and rapist, I'm, uh, I'm i'm an uh, anallorapist
1: i'm the first <laughs> i'm the first um, i'm the first therapist analyst therapist in the um, sort of greater california area you're an analyst therapist. Yeah, I'm an al- an an al- And
0: uh, just look at his license plate, if you're wondering where that gag goes. And um, uh, yes, uh, just... he's speaks <laughs> almost, his
1: number plate. <laughs> he
0: speaks almost entirely in double entendres, uh, very inappropriate ones. And our very own Portia de Rossi playing the daughter, Lindsay. It's a great show. It's one of those shows you probably. You do need to watch it for a while to get a handle on the characters, but also the recurring gags. Um, There's a lot of those sort of things that you won't understand if you don't watch it from the start. But if you watch the first couple and you think, what the hell is this about? Stick with it because you come to love these characters. In fact, I didn't mention Tobias is my equal favourite character, along with Job, which stands for um, uh, George, hang on, Oscar? Bluth? Yep. And uh played played by Will Arnett and uh <laughs> he's he's just a hopeless case. Uh very, very funny show. Ron Howard uh, narrates it. So uh, it's done in that sort of uh you know, mockumentary type style. Ron Howard actually plays a character in later episodes and narrates the episodes which are about himself. Um and it's great fun, uh, very, very funny show, a lot of in-jokes, a lot of Hollywood references, etc. But it's a ripper, Arrested Development. Uh,
1: it is brilliant. I'll just, because you're a fan, I can get ask you some questions and you'll answer them to add to the humour. Um, what f- consistently is used as the the family car?
0: Oh, the um stair, the aeroplane staircase. Yeah, one of the strangest vehicles
1: <laughs> on the planet is a car that's been fitted with aeroplane stairs, and that's yeah. their family car because they go from being multi-millionaires to bankrupt. Um, who plays the father? Jeffrey Tambor plays the family patriarch. Who plays his um, sort of airy fairy flower power twin brother?
0: Uh, Jeffrey Tambor yeah, which, playing Oscar.
1: And they often interchange each other's, you know, uh, the evil brother often dresses up as the other brother and, and shaves, uh, strategically shaves the weaker brother to look like him. Uh, Charlie's Theron, it, it, is that the South African actress? Uh, which one? Charlie's Theron.
0: Uh, yeah, I can't. Who does she claim? Oh, there's a huge. Yeah, Henry she... Winkler's in it as their well, hopeless lawyer. So
1: their lawyer is hopeless, and Henry Winkler is humorously replaced by which lawyer? Oh, um,
0: uh, uh, what's his Scott name? Baio. Matthew Broderick. No, oh, it's, Scott. Why did I say Matthew Broderick? Uh, it's funny, you know, yes. because
1: Henry the Fonz is replaced by Sharky. Yeah, yeah.
0: Whose just... whose whose name is uh, uh, Bob Law? Bob.
1: Bob Law, Bob Blah Bob Blur. Bob Law <laughs> is Bob Blah. Oh, That's a great yeah. show. And my and he's TV, got a, he's yeah. got a law block. Bob Blah yeah. has a law block. <laughs> Um This is great. You know, the son has a crush on his cousin. Um, yeah, and her name's maybe just to confuse things even further. Okay, uh, my show is similarly sort of. Um, pitched in that it is a cult classic, ran for six seasons and little known to many people, a revival on um, um, screening platform or whatever they call these things, um, streaming platform, I should say. Um, Queeby, and I don't know Queeby, do you know Queeby? Q U I B I. They started airing again, the brand new series on May the 15th in the US. This is a really quirky show, it never got much traction in Australia, so I used to see it in reruns recently, late at night, Reno 911, and if you actually watch a few episodes, it's bloody funny. Now apparently the the team that put the show together had another show on American TV that was not successful, but... Fox, where it was screened, quite liked them as a potential talent, and said, have you got anything else in the can? And they did a Seinfeld. The two producers said, yeah, sure. And they said, what? They said, oh, we'll come in tomorrow and picture it. They had absolutely nothing. They literally had nothing. But they sort of thought, well, hang on, we've been asked back. We can't say we've got nothing, because we won't get... So we've got a day to come up with something. And they watched TV that night, and they came up with nothing. And in the morning, they said, what are we going to do? And one of them said... We watch. We like cops. We watched that last night. Let's just do a satirical version of cops because everybody likes cops. And they went in and they had nothing prepared, and they just said it's a piss take on cops, and they got a deal, and then they had to put together a cast, a lot of no names in the cast, but they're very funny. It's a police force headed up by this um, lieutenant Dangle, who gets around in the tightest shortest shorts you've ever seen, very much like Tobias Funky. isn't homosexual but everything he does tends to say he is and that all comes a cropper when at the end of I think season two he ends up in an upside down police car in the snow with another officer and they are in the pardon me I've got to say it in the 69 position and what they do to keep warm bears not describing describing on this program but they survived <laughs> um there's a there's a lot of well, the characters, are all different policemen and police women. They're hopeless at their job. They, but it's very funny. It's done at like cops. Um, they shoot a lot of the people they're trying to save. They let go a lot of people that they should arrest. It's a very funny show if you give it a go, uh, and you don't need to. It's it's because it's like cops. It's actually very easy to pick up. There's not a lot of threads that run all the way through it. There are some, um, but it's it's funny. Have you ever seen it?
0: I haven't. It's one of those shows that I've heard about for a long time but haven't got around to watching.
1: It's it's easy to pick up at any point. So you can watch an episode or two and enjoy it. I'll put it on the list.
0: All right, uh, let's finish off with a bit of footy. Now, 2003, I'm going the obvious one here, but a remarkable achievement. Brisbane winning its third straight premiership and uh, this one was definitely one they did the hard way. So much so that... um, they won this grand final in a canter against Collingwood. Collingwood actually starting the game favourites, but Brisbane did pretty well even to get there. They, if you remember, uh, lost the qualifying final to Collingwood, which put them uh, made uh, put sentenced them to the hard route home. They beat Adelaide, uh, Sydney in the preliminary final. They were only ahead by three points at three quarter time and slammed on six six to one behind and went into the grand final nonetheless carrying no fewer than eight injured players. Um, Nigel Lappin famously had broken ribs and had a fitness test literally half an hour before the game. They flew down uh, at low altitude to um, make for less uh, cabin pressure, uh, which would allow the blood to circulate more freely and heal recovery. They brought down 18 vials of painkilling injections. Uh, usually the amount taken into a game is two. Uh, and the players were big-name players. There was Voss, there was Lepich, um one of the Scots, um, Lappin, obviously. And uh, Collingwood started favourite after having beaten them in the qualifying final. And the Lions absolutely blew them away. It was a no-contest. Uh, seven goals the difference by half time after a six goal second term by the Lions. And they ended up winning by 50 points with a pretty high score, too. 2014 134. Simon Black, uh, arguably the greatest grand final performance ever by an individual. He ended up that day with 39 disposals. And Jason Ackermanis, outstanding with five goals. And thus, the first premiership trick delivered since Melbourne between 55 and 57. Phenomenal achievement in the modern era. And uh, in a great era for Brisbane, this was their finest moment Fine, What's your footing memory?
1: Well, you're talking about the great uh, three-peat, and I've got a triple as well. But more than just the triple that people remember, the closest Brownlow count, it was almost... It was such a log jam, traffic jam at the end. I think 11 players within four votes. But what a cast of footballers it was. Of course, the Brownlow was won by Adam Goods, Mark Rashido and Nathan Buckley. So standing up on the dais were three great footballers and um, all of them... Certainly, goods won another one, but you know, great that Rashudo and Buckley are included in the number of Brownlow winners because they're brilliant footballers. But maybe what people forget less or remember less and forget is how close it was. They won by one vote from three more players, all of who have won Brownlows: Wanganeen, Cousins, Ben Cousins, and who was the third one? Um, there was a third player on 21 votes. Do you know who it was, Row?
0: I can't remember,
1: no. Uh, it's, uh, it's another Brownlow winner. It'll come to me in a minute. Then two votes further back on 19, three more players, including two more Brownlow medal winners, I believe, because James Heard was stuck there on 19. Um, Peter Bell was on 19 votes as well. He didn't win a Brownlow medal, but my word, he probably... Uh, you know, he obviously went close on that night. Um, I'm trying to remember who was that third 21 vote getter. It'll come come to us. in. Oh, Shane Crawford, I think. I reckon Shane Crawford was only... Uh, he, he was certainly in, the, in that mix. He was right up there as well. So you've got just this incredible logjam. Even on 18 votes, Rowan, was Robert Harvey, who won two Brownlows, and Andrew McLeod, who had won two Norm Smith medals. And I reckon on seventeen votes, you've probably got Simon Black. I mean, this was the, the the sort of traffic jam Brownlow medal to absolutely beat the band. And yeah, if I yeah. Can, yeah, have you got it?
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and the winners was Crawford Wanganine and Cousins.
1: Yep, yeah, that's right. They, and then they,
0: two votes, two votes behind
1: Boss and Hurd. Another two more winners with Peter Bell. Then Robert Harvey on 18, I think. Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So, counting the three that won that year, the first six, seven, eight place getters were all Brownlow medalists. Incredible, isn't it? It is. That
1: is a good one. I hadn't thought of that at all. It was the, it could have been. And that's, you know what's interesting there? With one round to go, there were like 11 guys who could have won the Brownlow medal. It was fantastic. All right, that is a good one.
0: 2003 in music, movies, TV and football. That's it for Pack show this week. And we talk, covered a lot of ground, but good fun. And uh, let's hope we survive this upcoming footy marathon. One orthodox round to get through first, of course. And uh, we'll be back on Sunday evening to wrap
1: that up. Quick shout out to our sponsors. Oh, Andrew's Hamburgers. The best burgers in town. Open right throughout. Do remember when you're outside, you need to have a face covering. But you've got to take it off because that's one big burger when you have dinner. Uh, you've got to wait till you get home or even in the car. Andrew's Hamburgers 144. Bridport Street, Albert Park. Yum. Thank you to West Point Properties. Great rebuild. Southeast inner suburbs of Melbourne. Nick Spartel's there. Rowan, it is going to be a feast of football. Looking forward to this weekend, though. Six tips different. I wonder which one of us is going to end up on top.
0: Well, jump on our uh, page at Footyology to have a look at, while I'm talking about that, please jump on our Patreon page and show us a bit of support, become a Footyology subscriber. And I keep saying this, but uh, we are a few days away from some very big announcements about the future of Footyology. You can also support this podcast specifically at the uh, ACAST, Support page. So um, jump on there. And uh, if you're so inclined, shout us a few bucks. It will be much appreciated. We certainly appreciate your support. However, it is a poor trade. Thanks very much for listening. Have a great weekend of footy. And uh, we'll see you on Sunday.